I am so delighted this morning to come back and to talk to you, especially after Good Friday services, to talk to you this morning about Christ's resurrection. That changes everything. Somebody recently in our community came up to me and said, are you, are you going away? Are you going on vacation for Easter Sunday? I said, oh, no, that's Easter. I'll be at Woodland. I want you to be at Woodland. He goes, well, I, I'm going to be on vacation. I'm going to Florida. And then a few minutes, he came back over and he says, you know, I just thought about what I said to you. That was probably pretty stupid. He said that. I didn't, Becky. He said, that was probably pretty stupid of me. He said, but Easter is like the Super Bowl for the church, isn't it? And I go, absolutely. Easter is what made Christmas a reality. Let's give the Lord one more hand of praise. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. So stand with me out of respect and reverence for the word of the Lord this morning as we go to God's word. If you're watching online, you join us as well. The scriptures will be on the screen. And that Sunday evening, this was after the resurrection, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. As I was preparing and praying and thinking about this passage, I had a question just cross my mind I've never asked before. And I wrote it out in my journal, and I just share it with you, not necessarily as a part of the message, but as a point of contemplation this morning. What door have you locked that you're hiding behind because you really don't understand what Easter means? What door have you locked because you really don't understand what the resurrection of Christ means for you? What fear has got locked you in? What bitterness has got you locked in? What hatred has got you locked in? What secret sin have you locked the door on what God wants to do in your life and so you've locked your door because you're afraid of something? Now fear manifests itself in a lot of ways. The disciples locked the door because the Bible says they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Whose approval are you afraid of? Whose approval are you afraid of losing? I mean, this is a question on Easter Sunday morning that if we'll stop and think about this, it's revolutionary in the impact that it can have upon our lives. And then suddenly Jesus was standing there among you. Peace be with you. Look at your neighbor and say, peace be with you this morning. I mean, you can say that to a total stranger. Say it one more time to somebody else. Peace be with you. I think we ought to start saying that a lot more at Woodland Church. I mean, when people come in, let's greet one another by just saying, peace be with you. Now, you've got to help me remember that because that just won't come natural. Yesterday, I was asking the wedding, Pastor, you are going to say, come on, victory at some point during the wedding, aren't you? Now, I'm known for that because I really believe in that. I said, well, no, I hadn't planned on it, but if it's a special request, I will do it. And so when I said it yesterday, some got it, and some were like, what does that have to do with anything? But peace be with you, that's got everything to do with everything. Can you say amen? I mean, it's what Christ has done for us. And so Jesus says he just suddenly appears. He comes through the walls. I don't know how he did it, but he did it. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And again, he said, peace be with you. As a father has sent me, so I am sending you. Join me in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your amazing grace and goodness, and we thank you that Good Friday was not the end of the story. 
We thank you that Saturday when our Savior lay in the grave, it was not the end of the story. But on this morning, Lord, over 2,000 years ago, what Christ accomplished at Calvary was made complete when he rose again from the dead. We want to know what you want us to know this Easter. So give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see, give us hearts that will receive and believe your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Recently, I met a lady who came to talk to me, and uh, she's a microbiologist. She's a brilliant woman. She has taken her background and translated it into business, and so she was sharing with me about the pain and unfulfillment that she was feeling in her life. What she had studied for Business and economy had found good use for it, but was not really doing where her, what her heart was into. And so as we were talking, I didn't know, but I just had this sense that Linda, and she told me I could use her story and tell her name, and she may be watching today because I told her I would use her story on Easter Sunday. Linda told me, I just stopped and I said, what is your faith story? And she looked at me and she says, what is a faith story? And I said, Linda, have you ever given your heart to Jesus Christ? Have you ever actually asked him to forgive you of your sins and to become your Savior, your Master, your Lord? And tears filled her eyes, and she began to tell me part of the story I want to tell you. She told me that she had given her heart to Christ in a ministry called Crew in college, Campus Crusade, for those of you that are older. She'd given her heart to Christ and that she had started out just really fervently for Jesus. She married a man. They had a child. And then after a few years of marriage, he decided he didn't want to be married anymore. And he walked away from God. He walked away from her. He walked away from their child. And she said to me, Pastor, it devastated me. I said, I understand. I I. I can't imagine what that feels like, but I know a lot of people who know what that feels like. She said, and then my son was killed. Someone took my son's life, and by this time, I'm broken, she's broken. And she said, Pastor, I just became mad at God, and I didn't want him in my life, and I locked him out of my life. She said, I had, if I had rocks that I could throw at God, I would have thrown them at him. And as we talked together, and I offered to pray with her, she suddenly just began to weep again, and then she said to me, she says, there's a verse of Scripture that's coming back to me that I haven't thought about in so long. And I said, what is it, Linda? And she said, I know the plans I have for you. Plans for good and not for evil. Plans to give you a future and a hope. And she said, I've lost sight of that until today. And friends, when that conversation was over, these were her words to me. Thank you for asking me to tell you my faith story. It's been so long. My heart has emptied out, and I know what I need now. Friends, 
I want you to know evil things happen in a fallen world. But God is not the author of that evil. Christ conquered evil at Calvary. He sealed the deal when he rose again from the dead. Can we give him another hand of praise and thanksgiving this morning? I'll come back to Linda's story in just a moment. You see, the resurrection of Jesus and why that is so important is it proves that Jesus really was who he said he was. It proves that Jesus really did do what all of the prophecies said he would do. Josh McDowell and his son Sean McDonald do a lot of research in the area of apologetics, which is the defense of the Christian faith. And the screen behind me wouldn't fill the zeros that statisticians say that it would take to follow the number one, that Jesus actually fulfilled all of those prophecies, and yet he did fulfill all those prophecies. And that's what causes people to struggle so much because they want to deny the claims of Christ, but history, everything bears the witness and the testimony of Jesus. It proves that there's life after death because we started a series of messages on I promise, God's promise to us, on God's promise to us of heaven and how that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. But further, Jesus gives us an example of what to do when like Linda, we go through difficult times when we're persecuted or we suffer or we're hurt or we feel abandoned by God. Linda, she found a verse of Scripture in our conversation that I want to share with you that I hope helps Linda and I hope helps you this morning. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21, the Apostle Peter writes, this is the kind of life you've been invited into, the kind of life Christ lived. Say that with me. The kind of life Christ lived. Say it again. The kind of life Christ lived. That's what we mean by being passionate followers of Jesus. We follow Jesus. We're not trying to follow an example. We have a living relationship with a living Savior who lives in our hearts, and He gives us power by His Spirit to follow His example, to be passionate followers of Christ. It kind of separates it does a separation between the imitation of what the world tries to do and what Christ can really do in your life because the imitation can never stand up. But when we separate ourselves unto God and say, Jesus, I give my life to you. I don't belong to myself. I don't belong to the world anymore. God comes into our lives and helps us to live this life. He suffered everything that came his way so that you would know that it could be done and also know how to do it step by step. Something happened that these disciples that had locked the door for fear of the Jewish leaders after Jesus appeared in that room, that in a matter of hours, their lives were dramatically changed, and in a matter of days, they would turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ, and that's why you and I are here today, and that's why billions of people around this planet are worshiping the Lord and celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ today. Don't ever underestimate, don't ever underestimate what God is doing in your heart, what God is doing in your family, what God will do through your suffering and through your pain. It's what God wants us to know at Easter. You see, God wants us to know he wants to be your friend. Yes, I know he's your Lord, and I know he's your master, and some people sometimes seem to get a little upset because Jesus Christ is God. How can you say he's my friend? Well, I can say that because it's what Jesus said. 
On Good Friday, I want you to look at how he, on Good Friday, I ask you to look at how he invited his close friends to be with him while he was suffering. And they let him down. They, they, they just fell asleep on him. They just couldn't keep their eyes open. And he's going through this dark time. And maybe you've been through a time where your closest friends abandoned you. Maybe you've been through a time where you found out what your real friends were really like. Maybe you failed. Maybe you made a mistake. Maybe you went through a, a loss of business or loss of income or a loss of your marriage or loss of a child. And it's in those difficult times like Linda you find out who your real friends are, and you find out whether people really are close to you or not. And Jesus at night, he loved his friends, but they couldn't tough it out with him. But the Bible says if we want to, be we want to have friends, then we have to be friends with other people. And when Jesus' friends failed him, Jesus didn't fail them. Look at me. The fact that your friends may have failed you doesn't mean you have to fail your friends. And the fact that your friends may have failed you doesn't mean that Jesus will ever fail you. Jesus will always be your Lord, your Savior, and he will be your very best friend. That's good news this morning. He will always be your very best friend. As a matter of fact, he'll be your friend before you even give your life to him. And maybe you're listening this morning, maybe you're here in the sanctuary, maybe you're online today, and you're thinking, well, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus still wants to be your friend. Let me show you an example of that. A man by the name of Levi, he was a despised person. You know him as Matthew. He wrote the book of Matthew. He was a tax collector. He was a traitor. He was at the bottom of the disliked list. There's the most trusted list. There's the most liked list. There's the most beautiful list, the most handsome list. In the Bible, there's the most despised list, and Levi was down there. And so Jesus befriended Levi. Levi then invited Jesus to his house, and he invited his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors, other despised people, and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. Would you say that with me? Let's read that together. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. Let's say that again. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. I want to tell you something. Jesus hung out with people you probably wouldn't like. <laughs> Jesus hung out with people you probably don't want Jesus hanging out with. But Jesus doesn't care because he wants to be your friend. But when the teachers of religious law, people like myself, when teachers of the religious law who were Pharisees saw him coming with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, listen to this, why does he eat with such scum? Can you imagine me saying that about somebody that's lost, somebody that's maybe a drug dealer or somebody that's a child molest? Can you imagine me saying that? You would go, Pastor, you, you wouldn't do that. Oh, I don't like what they do. I will fight it to tooth and nail. But still, Jesus reaches out to that kind of people. As a matter of fact, Paul would write to the church in, the, in Corinth, and he said, such were some of you. He would write to the church in Rome, such were some of you. He would write to the church in Galatia, such were some of you. None of us come with a pristine past. We all come with brokenness to Jesus Christ. And he befriends us when we're at our worst. You see, a true friend, let me tell you what a true friend, a true friend, a true friend always has a vision for your future, where God's taking you. You see, the Bible says you are God's masterpiece. 
Look at your neighbor and say this morning, you are a masterpiece. Now, husbands, this was a good time to smile and wink while you said that. This is a good time to earn some brownie points. Make a love deposit right now. I'm going to give you one more chance. You are, look at me, Becky. You are a masterpiece. Get it? <laughs> you see, masterpiece, that Greek word poema means that God, he delighted in you. You're his, you're his statue of David. You're his Venus. You're his Michelangelo. God looks at you, and some of you need to quit grinning right now and come back to listening. C.S. Lewis says that when you discover this and you get into the presence of God, suddenly your life is transformed in a blindingly brilliant way that you begin to mirror the glory of God, the beauty of God, and the love of God. You see, a true friend sees that for your future. Second, a true friend is willing to suffer for you. A true friend has intentional concern for your life. Say that phrase with me. Intentional concern. You see, the world kind of teaches your friends will be your friends without any intention at all. No, I, I'll be honest with you. I'm honest with my lost friends. I'm, I was honest with Linda. I have a goal in all of my friendships. They know it. I want them to become passionate followers of Christ. I'm not going to push them. I'm not going to try to, to motivate them with any exterior things. I'm just going to simply represent the truth and build a friendship with them and hope that at some point they will come to see Jesus and cross the line. I have intentional concern, and I'm willing to suffer for that. And I believe there are many of you in here this morning, you're willing to suffer for that as well because a true friend is willing to suffer for us, and that's what Christ did for us at Calvary. Now, can can we give him a hand of praise this morning? Hallelujah. I know you're familiar with this, but theologically, theologically, this is why we say Jesus is the friend of sinners. And by the way, Jesus never called anybody a sinner. He saved his toughest words for people like me who teach and preach the word of the Lord. Second thing that God wants me to know at Easter, he understands my need for him. He understands my need for him. Now, you might say, Pastor, why did Linda come talk to you? A lot of people come talk to me just simply because I'm a pastor. That's the bottom line. They really don't know me. They really don't know my likes or dislikes. People will come talk to you, listen, when they know you are a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. Because they'll see something. Remember what Lewis said? There's this blind, blindingly brilliant light that begins to emanate from your life because you're reflecting the love and the glory of God. The Pharisees reflected rejection because the Pharisees had locked the door because they thought they could manipulate the approval of God. And when God didn't meet them according to their proscribed ways of being approved by God, they crucified him at Calvary. And when they saw the brilliant light of Jesus coming to lost people the way he came to Abraham, this, this man who lived in a pagan culture that didn't know him, didn't serve him, would have made sacrifices to a foreign deity or God. God manifested himself, and God was called the friend of Abraham. Jesus comes and he begins to mirror the same kind of blindingly brilliant light 
then those at the most bottom list, the despised list, suddenly they want to know Jesus. And those at the most admired list and those at the most successful list, those at the, at the most top 10 religious preachers in Israel, they crucified Christ. Because when you understand what it means for Jesus to be a friend of sinners, and when you understand God's love for lost people, then suddenly people want to talk to you. So people come up to me, and sometimes they'll say, you know, I just feel so empty inside. I've got a successful career. I've got a wonderful family. I have a good marriage. But I feel empty. And they'll say to me, Pastor Clint, what do you think I ought to do? Do you think I need to read the Bible? Do you think I need to go to church? And, and, and I just understand, I'm not being manipulative. I'll just simply say, that'll help. I'll start going to church and... I'll say, you'll learn how to pray if you come to church. When Pastor Corey prayed this morning, you should have been agreeing with Pastor Corey in prayer or listening to him pray. He would have taught you how to pray about a lot of things this morning. When we take communion, you'll learn about God's amazing love for you. You pray the word of God and these scriptures back to him. Somebody said, well, should I start reading the Bible? I said, that'll help. Start reading their Bible. And then inevitably, in a period of time, people will come back like Linda, and they're mad at God. I go, why are you mad at God? Well, I've been reading my Bible. I've been going to church. You know, I even gave five bucks in the offering. <laughs> and I still feel empty inside. I'm still hurting inside. You see, what they're trying to do is they're trying to manipulate God. Remember the story I told about the little girl just recently? She won $2 in children's ministries, and she gave it all in the offering. And she told her teacher, she says, I gave my whole $2. She said, well, sweetheart, you didn't have to give your whole $2 to Jesus. She said, why'd you do that? She said, well, I gave it all to him, so maybe now he'll finally give me what I want. <laughs> you see, it's that locked door we do. We try to manipulate God. And they, so they get angry at God, and like Linda, then suddenly they, they lock the door on God. They're angry at God. My husband left me. My son was killed. Those are terribly painful things. I'm crying. Linda's crying. You see, it was the mistake of the Pharisees, and Jesus knew this because when they called these people scum, listen to Jesus' wise and loving words. You're not going to threaten Jesus. And look at me. Look at me right here. You are not going to threaten somebody who understands the reality of what it means that Christ is risen from the dead. If you want to understand these people who have been willingly to have their heads chopped off in Africa and the Middle East because they will not refuse to recant their faith in Jesus, they have met the resurrected Savior. There's nothing they can manipulate with. They have met Jesus. And it's not a matter of comfort. It's not a matter of their personal timing. It's not a matter of what's convenient for them. They are passionate followers of Christ. You cannot threaten a passionate follower of Christ. So Jesus looked at them. Listen to these loving words. He said, when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come not though to call those not who think they're righteous, but those who think they are sinners. You see, a Christian goes like this. Yes, I need God. 
I need God more than I need the Bible. I need God more than I need the church. I need those things because those are God's gifts to me. But I need a saving relationship before God, with God. But before I, can, before I can find this fulfillment, I've got to be willing to give my life to Jesus. I've got to be willing to unlock the door of whatever I'm hiding behind, my fear, my pain, my hurt, my prejudice, my lack of understanding. I've got to be willing to unlock that door and say, Jesus, come in. And my prayer this morning is that Jesus is going to so manifest himself in your life that he will just pass through your locked door and say to you, peace be with you this morning. That he won't wait for you to unlock the door, but I have asked him, Jesus, love us this morning. Get past our fears. Get past our anger. Get past our hurt. Do what you did for Linda. Peace be with you. And their lives were transformed. See, as passionate followers of Christ, we are led by God's love, not by fear that God is going to reject us. We are led by the Spirit of the Lord who gives us freedom. Prayer is how we talk to God. We learn this from Jesus, and friends talk to each other. As a matter of fact, the Bible says Jesus one morning got up, and he went out to an isolated place to pray. And then I give you just several other passages you can look at here. He went out to an isolated, I, I have to do that. I come to the sanctuary alone. I go for walks in the Metro Park alone. I have a place in my home that my family's fixed up for me where I can pray alone. And, you know, maybe it's your lazy boy. Maybe it's a chair, but someplace special where you go talk to God. And here are four things, and I don't have time to dwell on them, but four things you may want to write them down if they're not in your outline. This is what I do when I pray. When I pray, I'm confessing God's power to do anything in my life. I'm confessing God's power to break down locked doors, to break down fear in my life. When I pray, I'm expressing not only my joy in the Lord and my joy in what Christ has done for me, but I'm expressing my pain that I feel as well, what I'm going through. And sometimes I'm very open and transparent to very blatant about what I'm hurting. When I pray, I stress my trust in God's will. Now, notice that word stress. It doesn't mean I'm stressed. It means I am emphasizing to myself and to the Lord what Jacob did when he said to God, Thou hast said. Say that with me. Thou hast said. One more time. Thou hast said. Now, would you please say it with conviction this morning? Thou hast said. You see, when Jacob, and I know that was King James. You can look that up in a modern English version later, but... Somehow or another, when I pray with that kind of conviction, God's word, I know it's not doing anything for God, but it, do so, it does something for me because I'm reminding myself of the promises of God. And when I pray, I bless others. You see, when you pray for me, you're blessing me. I may not know you prayed for me. When you pray for me, you're strengthening me, you're encouraging. When I pray for you, I, look at me, look at me. Online, look me right in the eye this morning. When I pray for you, and I know many of you worshiping online, some of you I've met via email or text or something else, I pray for you, I know God is answering my prayer. And a lot of times I'll look at my watch and I'll say, Lord, it's Easter morning, it's 1055, and I know you're working in their life right now because thou hast said you hear and answer our prayers according to your will. That does something for me, and I believe it does something for others. And through 50 years of walking with Jesus, so many people have come to me and said, you know, you must have been praying for me because this is what happens. 
Passionate followers of Christ know that. The third thing God wants me to do is trust his promises. Trust his, there are over 7,500 of them according to, to, to Herbert Lockyer. And God's promises are based upon his character, his goodness, and his word. It's not hoping, it's not wishing. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. Let's all say the word yes together. Yes. Say it again. Yes. I was preaching in Atlanta, Georgia. There was probably about 1,500, 1,600 people there. And some man kept saying, yes, 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 all during my sermon. And it actually was starting to annoy me. And I almost went over, wanted to say to him, would you please stop that? <laughs> Have you ever felt like that? Would you just please stop that? And so after the service, I, I went to him and I said, I just need to know something. I said, I was kind of confused. I'm used to people saying amen. I'm used to people saying praise the Lord or clapping their hands. But what was the yes, yes, yes? He says, God's promise to every word in Jesus is yes. And he, he wasn't a real educated man, wasn't a real complicated man. But he says, every time I hear a promise from God's word, I just go, yes. And so I stood there with him, and I said, well, help me do it. Yes, yes, yes. Let's say it again. Every promise is yes, yes, yes in Jesus Christ. Give him another hand of praise this morning. Hallelujah. So if you ever hear me walking down the hall, if you ever hear me coming through the sanctuary, and I go, yes, I've just remembered a promise from God. And I hope to hear you doing the same. D.L. Moody said, God never made a promise that was too good to be true. While Linda was crying, I looked at her and I said, Linda, there are times when you just know you don't touch people. And I'm a toucher. I, I want to touch people's hands. I want to pray with them. But at that moment, I said, Linda, I think God wants to touch you today. As a matter of fact, Linda, I know God wants to touch you today. You may not feel anything. You may not experience anything but may I pray for you? And it's very rare that somebody will ever tell you no, you can't pray for them. You see, in prayer, you bless others. In prayer, you stress the promises of God. In prayer, you remind God of what he said. In prayer, you express joy and pain. And then when you pray that promise of God into their life, when you pray that powerful promise in their life, you can be confident that God is going to answer your prayer. Linda, God is not the one who led your husband to abandon you or your family. He's not the one who took your son's life. But according to the word of the Lord that you've just quoted to me, his promises for you are good and not for evil. God is not going to waste this pain. God is not going to waste a moment of your suffering. Your son is with Christ. Let's pray right now and trust Jesus. And tears begin to flow as Linda experienced not the touch of a preacher's hand, but she experienced the touch of God in a blindingly brilliant way. This very educated, highly successful woman who came back to her faith that she had made in college and had lived out until she went through pain. And maybe you're here this morning, and at some point you made a commitment to Jesus Christ. 
but you've wandered away from it. You've locked the door. You followed Jesus just like the disciples did. You had been with him through thick and thin. Maybe you've even ran away from Jesus at the point you should have been faithful to Jesus. Maybe you failed Jesus, but Jesus didn't fail you. Maybe you weren't a very good friend to Jesus, but Jesus never stopped being your friend. And you've locked the door because maybe you're afraid of what some religious critic would say. Stop fearing what the critics would say and hear what Jesus has to say today. God wants to be your friend. Can we give him another hand of praise and thanksgiving this morning? And I share with you what I shared with her from the book of Zechariah that I'm preaching through on Wednesday nights. The Lord says, I promise this very day I will repay two blessings for each of your troubles. And Linda, I believe God is going to repay you double over the man who left you and over the son who left you, who, who you lost. I believe God is going to pour double into your life. And I don't know what you're going through, but my heart hurts for you. Jesus is reaching out to you. I've been praying for you this week. God wants to pour double physical blessings, emotional blessings, spiritual blessings, economical blessings blessings. God wants to pour double into your life what the enemy has stolen from you this morning. If you believe that, say amen this morning. Hallelujah. 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 Isn't that good news? Don't you agree? It's not positive thinking. It's what the Word of God says. And then finally this morning, God wants me to know I'm loved and I have a home with Him. He's not distant from you. He loves you, and you have an eternal home with him. At the beginning of this message, I told you we started this series with the promise of heaven, and I want to end it again because this is what Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Do you know what another way of saying that is? Make a home in my love. Make a home. May I ask this question? And just lift your hands. How many of you want your home to be a home of love? Can I see? And hold, lift, lift them up. I want to just look around the congregation. I'm looking. I see everybody's hands. Let, let me ask you this. You can put your hands down. How many of you, like Becky and I, you wanted your home to be the place that your children's friends wanted to come hang out at? Now, don't. Raise your hand, because some of you say, I'd rather them hang out at your house, not my house. <laughs> I've seen the wreck they've made of your house, Pastor. <sighs> All right, so how many of you want your home to be the place where the kids want to hang out? Sure. Let me tell you how that can happen. Before, I need to tell you one more thing. How many of you want your home to be a place that your kids always want to come back home to when they're grown up? Yeah. Let me tell you how that happens. they got to know they're loved. They got to know they're accepted, whether they fail or whether they don't fail. That doesn't mean that you just say anything goes, but that does mean when they make a mistake, you say, hey, that wasn't right, but I have intentional concern for you because our relationship has changed now. I, you're grown, you have a family, but I have intentional concern for you now. You're a masterpiece. I loved you. I raised you to know the Lord. You are here because of God's amazing love and promise. And God has given you these children, my grandchildren. And he has intentional concern for those grandchildren. You see, it's not the Greek word for the love of God is agape. It's not sloppy agape. 
Friends have intentional concern. So Jesus says, abide in my love. And then the Apostle Paul says these words, and I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And it's his prayer, and it's my prayer for you this morning as well, those of you online and those of you here today. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor. (coughs) Pardon me. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in heavenly realms. God says, you're not only my masterpiece, but on this Easter, I want to put my power and my presence in your life. So I'll say to you what I said to Linda. You may have wondered, and I understand your hurt. I understand your pain. I pray for people like that every week. Look at me. Please don't take that lightly. Every day of every week, I'm praying for people like that. And it hurts because a friend suffers with their friends. And you take that to the only place, to the only one who has the only power to take something as evil as what happened to Linda and bring something good out of that. And I want you to come to that place and I want you to say what Linda said. Thank you for asking me to share my faith story of what Jesus did for me. You say, how do I do that? One more verse, and then we'll pray. So you will be saved if you honestly say, Jesus is Lord. Now, when you say that, my niece this morning, successful executive, works in a wonderful industry, She's being baptized because she's coming back to her faith in Jesus. They sent me messages this morning, and she's being baptized. She's coming. She said, Jesus is Lord. Uncle Dennis, I love you. Uncle Dennis, thank you for stopping to pray. What does it mean when a Christian says Jesus is Lord? It's simple. It just simply means he's our master. He's our boss. He's our ruler. It means that we give everything to Jesus. Jesus is in charge now. When I'm in charge, everything gets messed up. But when Jesus is in charge, everything gets blessed. And so he says, if you say Jesus is Lord, if you believe with all your heart that God raised him from the dead, look at your neighbor and say, Christ is risen this morning. Don't say it if you don't mean it. Christ is risen this morning. Heinz, Christ is risen. Dan, Christ is risen. Somebody say, come on, victory this morning. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for those who've never given their life to you, that they will know, God, they don't have to read their Bible, go to church, clean up their act. You meet them right where they're at this morning. You want to have a meal with them. And it doesn't matter what the critics say. Jesus, 
you want to be their friend, but you also want to be their Lord. You want to be their master because only you can save them. So I pray that they'll not just be interested and not just like you, but I pray this morning they will commit their life to you. And Lord, if they've wandered away like Linda did, they'll come back to you today in Jesus' name. So would you pray this prayer with me? I'm going to ask everyone to pray it. It's good for us to remind ourselves of this. Pray it with me. If you're online watching, pray it with me. You don't have to pray it out loud, but God knows your heart. Just say, dear God. Come on, let me hear this. Dear God, everyone, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that you're my friend. I want to do more than know about you. I want to become a passionate follower. I give my life to you. Forgive my sins. Fill me with your spirit. And let me hear your words this morning. Peace be with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Give him one more hand of praise today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I love you so much if you're watching online today. God bless you. Have a blessed Easter. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May he smile upon you. May he cause you to know today you're walking with him not only as Lord and Savior, but you're walking with him as a friend. In Jesus' name, go in peace.